I often find the market will overshoot reality as news comes out, but then continues to be digested and settled in. The Omicron fears were an example of that. Welcome to Views from the Desk, a special edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. In these timely episodes, we provide the latest investment news and expert commentary on the markets, the economy, and investing. Brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management. Market expectations of central bank policy changes continue to bounce around. Is it because of the uncertain fears of Omicron or admission that inflation may not be transitory after all? In today's episode, Chris Heeks, Matt Montemiro, and your host, Kevin Prince discuss a number of ways to position your client portfolios against the expectation of continued volatility and potential rate increases. Our experts also discuss why Canada should be your focus for corporate bond exposure, momentum for Canadian merchandisers, and whether a diplomatic boycott of the Beijing Winter Games will have any sustained material effect on Chinese equities. Before we hear from the team, please consider subscribing to Views from the Desk on your preferred podcast platform. And for many more ETF insights and resources, visit the Canadian ETF dashboard at bmoetfs.ca. Hello, this is Kevin Prince from BMO Exchange Traded Funds. Thanks again for joining us for insights towards the overall market with our team here, portfolio managers from their desk. Chris Heeks is going to be joining us, as well as Matt Montanero is going to join us. And we're going to dive into a number of questions that came in this week. So let's get right into it. Chris, let me start off with you, if I can. You know, we're seeing that the, the markets, you're putting the, you know, the early Omicron fears aside for now, looks like uh, risk-on trade is back on. And we're also seeing traditionally that there's seasonal strength at the end of the year. What are your, some of your thoughts for positioning in these volatile markets, please? Yeah, for sure. Thanks, Kevin. Good to be here. Um, so, yeah, some news from Pfizer this morning. They believe the third booster neutralizes Omicron. I believe those were their words, uh, neutralizes. Companies are working on, you know, Omicron-specific vaccines. You know, we're still waiting on a lot more data, but, you know, seems like the market is transmissible, but less less deadly. You know, personally, you know, if this turns into kind of a flu shot type of scenario, at the, at the end of the day, that's probably a win for everybody. But, you know, right now, certainly markets are shaking off the Omicron fears. Um, you know, personally, I was a little bit surprised how quickly those fears came in with, you know, especially considering the lack of data and the lack of, you know, no one really knew what was going on. But of course, we know fear, you know, can always and fear and uncertainty is always a negative for markets. But if you look at the S&P 500, we're back to the pre-Omicron high, took eight days to get back there. I guess that's been kind of emblematic of COVID. We've seen some very short-lived, wicked volatility, but we've also seen some really sharp uh, snapbacks as well. So, you know, cautiously speaking, because obviously we're still waiting for more clarity with Omicron, but cautiously speaking, I think we we, we go back to that previous playbook in terms of positioning. Um, have to be mindful of volatility overall. But that being said, I think overweight equity still makes sense. And, and Matt's on here, and he's going he's gonna to give you the fixed income view. But, you know, generally speaking, overweight equity has that ability to add to return and, and fight rising rates um, on the fixed income side. Um, and, and within that equity context, you know, two factors that can really be uh, harnessed by investors are quality and dividend. So quality, again, with the potential for rising rates next year, which we're going to get into. Remember, our quality companies have very low debt, so they're very 
um, not as impacted by rising rates. It doesn't impact them from a funding point of view. They have high profitability, so they're going to continue to benefit from economic reopening trends. And so in the quality space, you know, we're thinking ZUQ or ZGQ are great, you know, whether it's U.S. or global, great tools to get exposure to that quality framework within the MSCI index. And then on the dividend side, um, you know, I think that's very interesting as well. Uh, dividends and value, which we, which we know are uh, correlated factors, they, they both perform well in periods of rising rates. Assuming we go back to the old playbook where cyclical sectors and, and reopening trade, some of that old world economy uh, comes back, you know, again, favors financials and energies, and, and ultimately that will favor the dividend exposure as well. You know, Kevin, you know, we just did a piece on um, Canadian companies that have been increasing their, their dividends, banks obviously front and center last week, but also, you know, throughout the broad complex of Canadian equities. And, you know, investors love to see increasing dividends and share buybacks. It boosts confidence and it, it boosts, you know, momentum going forward in these stocks. So I think dividend is another one to go into. And last but not least, I would just say volatility. When you mention volatility, tougher calls always comes to mind because you can monetize that volatility, turn it into extra income. So there's three ideas, I think, to position, you know, overall, you know, hopefully we can look through Omicron and, and into the next year now um, as these fears are abating. I can just hop in there, there, Chris, and, and just talk about it quickly from a, a fixed income perspective. You know, I do think that this volatility that we, we've seen over the last couple of weeks, you know, is why keeping that kind of core allocation uh, of a universe bond exposure like ZAG, you know, I do think that that continues to be prudent. You know, ZAG gives you that exposure across both the yield and credit curve. You know, providing you duration uh, protection uh, when volatility heats up, when we see a little bit of that risk off tone. Uh, and, uh, you know, we, we don't know when the next variant uh, may come, but, you know, that keeping that zag exposure uh, does provide a little bit of that off, offset and ballast within the portfolio. Uh, at the same time, it does keep you invested across the spectrum so that when it is risk back on, you still have exposure to it. So that's why I think zag is uh, still prudent as the core of a fixed income portfolio. Uh, you know, it gives you that upside potential while still protecting you on the downside, regardless of the sentiment. You know, and I, as I look as uh, the, the Omicron uh, fears subside in the market, you know, I do, and the expectation that, that rates are going up, I look at an exposure like ZBBB as being very well positioned to complement that ZAG uh, allocation within your portfolio. You know, it gives you that exposure to that high beta investment grade credit. So again, you're moving up from maybe that high yield credit that you're trying to get that extra yield from, but you're still isolating a more attractive yield than, than some uh, more higher quality um, corporate bonds. Uh, ZBBB allows you to also reduce your, your duration overall at a portfolio level with a duration of about four years, which again, in that rising rate environment uh, would be attractive. And, and you're getting uh, that exposure in a well-diversified portfolio. So you're removing that idiosyncratic risk uh, from that riskier segment of the market. So, you know, I look at it in a period of rising rates. Um, you you uh, take advantage of that about 40 basis point premium in yield uh, while helping to mitigate some of the duration impact uh, 
and some of that interest rate sensitivity you see in the market. So, you know, as I look forward, I've used ZAG and ZBBB as being very well positioned uh, right now to kind of uh, look into 2022 and uh, um, on the fixed income side of that portfolio. Heads up, BMO ETF podcast listeners. We have a special episode number 106 available this Tuesday, December 14th, dedicated exclusively to Q4 performance of Canadian banks. Well, thanks for that, Matt. And thanks for that, Chris. Hey, Matt, let's just stay with you for a bit. I want to dive into a little bit about um, what you're talking about there with fixed income a bit more, because you you really can't talk about markets now without talking about central banks. You know, market expectations on central banks' policies continue to change, bounce around, and whether because of the, the Omicron or the administrations with inflation, maybe not be transitory after all either, that inflation. And of course, we have the Bank of Canada up today, the Fed next week. So basically, what is the market predicting in terms of Bank of Canada, Fed action as we move into 2022? We've certainly seen the market expectations um, for central bank policy bounce around, as you say, uh, Kevin. Um, Over the last little while, you know, you you really start to see that pendulum swing back and forth as as, uh, different risks come in and out of the market. I often find the market will overshoot reality as news comes out, but then continues to be digested and settled in. The Omicron fears were an example of that. They definitely scared markets for a few weeks. But, you know, as we start, as that, that as we get more data, as, as Chris said, you know, I think the market's digesting it in a, in a positive way. So, you know, looking at market expectations right now, let's just take a look at uh, the Bank of Canada Fed and see what the market's expecting from, from their rate policy going forward. So I'll start here in Canada. You know, the expectation for the Bank of Canada has always been to be, uh, have a more aggressive path than the Fed. Um, you know, for much of the fall, we expected that the first hike to be, you know, in and around the first half of the year. Um, most recently, it was, it was March 2022, which we saw was, was the earliest period. You know, Omicron comes in, you know, all of a sudden that we see the market have a knee jerk reaction moving back for, to, to either April or June's meeting. And I think, again, that, that's a little bit of, a, of an overshoot. So, you know, as some of those fears subsided, you know, as we see a very, very strong jobs number in Canada, you know, we've seen that pendulum swing back. So currently, the actual the market is pricing in a 68% chance of a hike in January. So this is the earliest that we have seen the market expecting a rate hike. And I think what's even more startling is the expectation that there could be even more than five rate hikes uh, for 2022. I think it's, it's, it's they're pricing in just over five, where, where for most of the fall we were seeing, you know, five on the high side. So, you know, although our view is that, you know, I think it's unlikely that we'll see, you know, five um, rate hikes to come to fruition, I do think it shows where the market sentiment is right now. And, you know, it, it, it's expecting the Bank of Canada to act uh, sooner than I think some of us expected. So act quickly and, and potentially act quite swiftly and often in 2022. So it's definitely something to uh, consider and think about as you are allocating to your fixed income portfolios. You know, I look at something uh, like, you know, looking at how to protect yourself on the fixed income side. 
during a period of, of rising rates. And I, I look at complementing your fixed income with uh, products like ZPR, ZCS, or short corporate bond, ZBBB, as I mentioned in the last uh, uh, question, um, ZQB. I think all of these would be helpful to consider within your fixed income allocation. Uh, now, looking into the Fed, uh, you know, while we expect the Fed to act slower than, than the Bank of Canada, you know, comments last week about the non-transitory nature of inflation definitely sped up expectations and increased, um, you know, the market's uh, expectation for rate increases for 2022. So currently, mar- the market is expecting uh, the Fed will act in June, which was, uh, I think, a few weeks ago. It was expected in September. So we're moving that up about a quarter uh, and, and will raise two to three times uh, in 2022. That's a, a full point up or full one extra rate hike expectation the market is now pricing in. So this is the largest expectation or the number of hikes that, that I've seen so far uh, in 2021. So again, you know, this is always a moving target, but, you know, considering it and and considering how the market is starting to look at central bank activity, it's important to to reflect uh, those uh, concerns or those risks within your portfolio. So, you know, if you're looking on the on the U.S. uh, fixed income allocation uh, portion of your portfolio, I would look at something like ZFH as a as a as a replacement for your high yield exposure. So that's maintaining that that high yield credit exposure while eliminating the duration, uh, or also looking at ZSU as a way to shorten your duration uh, within that that aspect of your investment grade uh, portfolio. Thanks, man. And I, I agree. This is something we're going to be talking about probably a lot next year as as the market expectations continuously change over the period. But let's dive a little bit deeper on the corporate bond exposure. You don't mind because often you know people are recommending corporate bonds during a rising rate environment. Give us a little bit of compare and contrast the credit exposures in Canada relative to the U.S., please. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, with the expectation of, of rising rates and, and potentially the faster rising of rates than I think we originally expected, I think investors often turn to corporate bonds, you know, to use that additional yield to help protect against the negative impacts of duration. So, you know, I often get asked, you know, how do you compare Canadian versus U.S. credit? How do they look relative to each other? Uh, and, and right now, Canadian credit looks looks quite attractive relative to uh, the U.S. counterparts. You know, U.S. credit spreads have come in uh, quite a bit more than we've seen in Canada. We've seen both of them uh, experience quite a bit of tightening during, during during the pandemic. But we've seen the U.S. kind of continue to grind tighter Um leading to potentially, you know, some some unsustainable levels. So, you know, when I look to compare and see kind of relatively how do they look, you know, from an interest rate differential perspective, you know, we see a steeper curve right now in the U.S. than we do in Canada. You know, looking at the five-year differential, Canada is about 23 basis points higher. You know, then moving out to the 10-year, you see it about 11 basis points higher from a yield perspective. So if you take that interest rate differential and now you compare it with uh, corporate bonds, so we use ZCM as our mid-corporate bond in Canada or ZMU as the mid-term or mid-corporate bond in the U.S., you know, durations are both around seven years, very similar credit-like credit quality and credit experience. You know, it's a very similar like-for-like exposure. 
you see ZCM yielding at about 2.7% versus ZMU at 2.3%. So you're getting a 40 basis point differential there relative to the interest rate differential that range between 11 and 23 basis points. So, you know, after hedging back, Canadian credit does look quite attractive at these levels, you know, relative to the U.S. counterparts. So, you know, I think it's always good uh, to consider this differential. You know, ETFs make it very easy for investors to switch between uh, exposures, whether that be credit versus government or geographical, so Canada versus the U.S. So, you know, I always just, you know, as, as I'm having these conversations, um, you know, ETFs are a perfect way to, to allow investors to take advantage uh, of, of these t- type of uh, relative um, uh, relative value trades. And, and in this case, Canadian credit looks quite attractive relative to the U.S. And, you know, we have the ETFs that you could uh, use to uh, allocate and take advantage of that trade. No, thanks, Matt. That was very insightful. I appreciate that. You're listening to Views from the Desk, a weekly edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. If you're enjoying today's discussion, we encourage you to tune into our deep dive episodes where we take you under the hood of BMO GAM's product suite. Check out episode 69 in this same podcast series where we take a deeper look at fixed income and equity solutions to hedge against inflation from U.S. tips and real return bonds to base metals and oil. Hey, Chris, when we come back to you, you know, we're certainly looking at the uh, Canada's merchandising trade surplus has widened about $2 billion October. Actually, it's technically uh, one of the largest in the, under the last decade. Um, you know, should, and I think it's going to further help uh, with the GDP. All in all, it's clear the broader economy is, Good momentum heading into the holiday season. So what's your thoughts on positioning? Going broad or a mix of factor or sector? What's your thoughts? Yeah, thanks, Kevin. Well, I think I think both can be uh, you know, both 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 broad factor and well, like that's not both. I guess that's all broad factor and sector, you know, can all be, you know, valuable tools for investors on how you approach it. Obviously, broad markets are always standard and you know. High AUM products that can give you that exposure very easily, but um, but I'll go a little bit back to the playbook, you know, from a factor perspective, which I think is an interesting way to address and kind of position versus markets. And again, the quality and dividends that I think as the two factors to lean into in in, in globally. Um, I'm going to start with dividends in Canada because one thing you see in Canada versus say the U.S. is a little bit more of that reopening trade is is happening in Canada. The U.S. market's more growth. Um, but that kind of value-based reopening trade, um, you know, is, is a bit stronger in Canada and Canada still very, you know, at significant valuation discount to the U S um, you know, at, at kind of multi-decade highs. So I think there's a lot of, uh, reasons to be constructive on, on those types of, those types of exposures. You know, we talked about dividends in the case of Canadian banks, uh, but ZDV and ZWC, so that's our Canadian dividend and Canadian high dividend cover call strategies. Um, you know, they're going to give you exposure to those, uh, some of those more cyclical dividend paying sectors that are doing very well. So financials and energies kind of at the top of the list, also some industrials. Um, that being said, within a factor space, we, I always like to be diversified and ZLB to me is our, is, is the, you know, one of our most award winning um, ETF solutions. It's more of a quality, low risk exposure. So our low volatility ZLB 
balances very nicely against this dividend exposure. And if for some reason the base case is wrong in terms of, you know, stronger economic growth and GDP kind of going through the next few quarters, uh, or this push upwards on rates is a bit wrong, ZLB is that one that can protect you. And obviously, you know, Kevin has a a very strong long-term track record, you know, both in terms of absolute return, but also risk-adjusted return, very, very accretive. So those are two factors I like. On In terms of sectors, I think, you know, we're kind of blessed at BMO ETFs to have so many great tools. Um, so the ones that I would, you know, think about from a sector side in, in terms of uh, tilting again, um, I think I favored those cyclicals, you know, and we're kind of assuming we're going to navigate this Omicron, which I think is becoming somewhat the default, you know, assumption of markets now. Um and then the other, the other, the other component is, you know, sectors that have a positive correlation to increasing rates. You do tend to see that a little bit more on the cyclical side. So the three big sectors in terms of positive correlation to, to rising rates would be financials, industrials, and energy. And and we've got an equal weight sector product in all those spaces. So in financials, the banks, ZEB, where we've just lowered that management fee to 25 basis points. It's just a great tool to just get that exposure on very efficiently said wb the cover call you know if you have more of that income tilt on canadian banks so that's that's the financials tilt industrial zin very solid um equally weighted portfolio in that sector and and energy with zeo and and i do like zeo with the pipelines included i think that just balances it out a little bit more and takes a bit of the risk off the table because you're already taking enough risk when you're going into energy so I think those are three great sector tools as well. But, um, you know, overall bullish on Canada, um, that the valuation discount, like I said, it's very low. You know, assuming we navigate Omicron, I think, you know, 2022 can be another very productive year for Canadian equities. Thanks for that, Chris. Hey, Chris, let's talk about a little bit some headline news. I mean, we certainly heard yesterday that uh, the U.S. announced that they're limiting their participation in the upcoming Beijing Winter Olympics to just the athletes. And when reading into that, this is showing that there's relationship is being strained. What does that mean for Chinese equities like ZCH, uh, given that there's, they're the largest trading partner for the U.S.? Yeah, and this one, I'll, I'll be fair. This is a this is a tougher one because I am constructive on a you know and have been on the past on, on emerging markets um, over the long term, but it's certainly been a very tough year, a couple of years for China. You know, they navigated the the initial COVID drawdown exceptionally well, better than any other developed market. But obviously, um, the tension between the U.S. and uh, and China, you know, that started under Trump and has continued under Biden, you know, some of the regulatory issues that are happening both in China and the U.S., where they're going back and forth. U.S. is saying, well, Americans can't invest in certain ADRs. China's you know, clamping down on some companies. It's been a tough backdrop for sure. Um, I do think, though, you know, you know, as an investor, sometimes you know, the, the greatest risk does present opportunities. So I, I am still, you know, think that Chinese and emerging market equities can add some value over time. I, I think, you know, in terms of uh, the relationship is strained, and you, you mentioned they're the large trading partner. You know, I kind of view it as they're too interlinked. To just sever the link. So the idea that that U.S. and China are going to sever a relationship, I don't really think is a realistic one. I think they're going to have to find a way to work through uh, these issues. So that's that's the base case. Um, I think it's a great opportunity to talk about the improvement we made in ZCH with the recent index changes um, prior to the index change, which which just came into effect last week. You know, ZCH was a, a uh, an ADR index. 
And um, so it was not investing locally in China, but predominantly in ADRs trading in the U.S. And, and some of those ADRs were um, under the most pressure uh, from a regulatory point of view. But now with that index change, we're, we're investing locally and in, into Chinese equities, both listed in China as well as Hong Kong. Most of them are listed in Hong Kong, but also China as well. Uh, we also imparted an ESG tilt to that portfolio. So it's a much more diversified, well-rounded portfolio. Uh, we're not just constrained to ADRs. We can invest locally in China, and we always believe in investing locally when we're going to get that exposure. And we think that ESG tilt could be productive in China as well. You know, we, you know, not not just the environment, but think about governance in China. It's something to think about. So by screening for companies with better governance, I think that G in ESG could be quite meaningful to investors. So it's certainly been a, uh, you know, not a productive exposure, but I, I, do, I do think there's the opportunity for emerging markets to, to add value over time. So whether it's at CH or ZDM. Thanks for that, Chris. And you're right, it's a challenging time to uh, look at China, but uh, I think you're right. Constructive is probably the best approach. Hey, Chris, you know, you had a good discussion last week in regards towards banks, as well as we have our quarterly featured podcast of banks coming up, releasing next week. But just let's give a little early indication for the audience here, talking about the more recent yield increases from all the major banks. What does that mean for ZEB and ZWB? And then also, what's your thoughts on potential further dividend increases or buybacks going forward? Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, we just recorded that Banks podcast uh, yesterday. So, yeah, look forward to releasing that. We go deep into detail. Um, myself, Dan Stanley, and uh, Sorab Mobadetti from BMO Capital Markets. Um, so um, overall, very, you know, very solid quarter. I think, you know, investors were really eagerly awaiting dividend increases and the banks did not disappoint. Um, the average dividend increase was about 15%, call it across the big six, uh, led by BMO at 25% uh, dividend increase. Uh, if you look at our ETFs, ZEB and ZWB, so ZEB is yielding right now, you know, 3.1%, pays 10 cents a month. ZWB is 5.6%. It's also paying 10 cents a month. Um, those those dividends have not, so the dividend increases have not been reflected into the yield yet, uh, but they will be shortly. So that's going to be, you know, should be upward pressure on those on those distribution rates with the underlying increasing their dividends uh, by 15%. So. Um, again, in terms of potential future di- dividend increases, usually we saw the banks do it every other quarter. So, you know, I, we're not going to see most likely the similar magnitude next quarter. But, you know, I'd say look for another little bump in a couple quarters. And, and you know, I think um, some of the banks are maybe going a little bit slow and, and saving some for the next time, too. So, you know, I think the potential for future dividend increases are likely given that banks are still adjusting back to the payout ratio. You know, they're trading at a forward PE of about, you know, 10, 11 times. It's not ridiculous at all. So even though they've come up 40% plus over the last year, I think there's still a lot of opportunity with Canadian banks. The yields going up, dividend investors obviously appreciate that. And, uh, you know, the wind is at their back. So we navigate this um, COVID complex, you know, whether it's ZEB or ZWB, I think great tools to get exposure to, you know, a sector of, of the Canadian market that's, you know, just really has been working very well. Thanks for that, Chris. And I'm looking forward to hearing the quarterly deep dive from the banks coming up next week. And that wraps up the questions for this week. Let me thank both Matt and Chris for all of their expertise in sharing this today. And let me thank you, the audience, for taking time to join us 
If you have any questions at all regarding towards uh, the markets or BMO ETF specifically, please reach out to your local BMO ETF specialist. We'd be happy to help you. Thank you. Have a great week ahead. Cheers. Thank you to Kevin Prince, Chris Heeks, and Matt Montemuro for joining us on the BMO ETFs podcast. Today, we heard a number of ideas to manage continued volatility and in anticipation of the faster rising of interest rates in the coming year. Corporate bonds are considered effective in a rising rate environment to protect against the negative impacts of duration, and our experts favor Canadian credit through ETFs such as the BMO Mid-Corporate Bond Index ETF, ticker ZCM. For more information about the ETFs discussed in this podcast, check out the episode notes, contact your regional BMO ETF specialist, or visit the Canadian ETF dashboard at bmoetfs.ca, that's bmoetfs.ca. The viewpoints expressed by the portfolio managers represent their assessment of the markets at the time of publication. Those views are subject to change without notice at any time without any kind of notice. The information contained herein is not and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice to any party. Investments should be evaluated relative to the individual's investment objectives, and professional advice should be obtained with respect to any circumstance. Any statement that necessarily depends on future events may be a forward-looking statement. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of performance. Views from the Desk has been brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management.